I don't understand it. I don't claim to understand most things. <laughs> Something to do with time dilation. If only Anne Hathaway were here. She can't be everywhere at once. Can't she, Inception? Well, not with that attitude, anyway. <laughs> She's got problems. Fucking sick of your shit, Anne Hathaway. Yeah, listen to us. Look, Anne. Anne, <laughs> sort your fucking shit out. <laughs> Flogging a dead horse. Like, the horse is fine. It's in its prime. It's just won a race. And we are... We are the podcast that today will be complimenting a really good horse that has great self-esteem. Mm. I'm Paul Salt. I'm Paul Goodman. It's a 10 episode, so it's time mm. we defend a much maligned film favourite of ours. Goodman is up to the plate and has chosen Wes Anderson's slightly underappreciated adventure film, The Life Aquatic with Steve... I've forgotten it already. Is it Zizou? Zisu. Zisu. Excellent. I look forward to remembering that and saying it perfectly a hundred times <laughs> in the next hour. Can't wait. The Belafonte, home to Team Zisu. Scaled crew of deep sea divers, adventurers, documentary filmmakers. Action. Led by internationally renowned oceanographer Captain Steve Zisu, expert on every aspect of marine life. Swamp leeches, everybody! Check for swamp leeches! Nobody else got hit? I'm the only one? What's the deal? But there remains one form of life about which Captain Sisu knows very little. You're supposed to be my son, right? The film received mixed to positive reception from critics, achieving 56% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oof. On Rotten Tomatoes. You know, I saw a breakdown of the Cockney accent by a couple of linguists, and now I'm really fucking self-conscious about all the Cockney stuff I do. <laughs> all the teas I dropped. It's alright, mate. We've evolved past basic class categories. People won't judge you for your Cockney accent. They'll judge you for having no money. <laughs> Excellent. That's all I ever wanted. Negative reviews include... Wait, let me just uh, scroll past these perfect scores from Premiere Time, Los Angeles Times, New York Times, New York Post, The New Yorker, San Francisco Chronicle, Washington Post, The AV Club, Entertainment Weekly, and Peter Travers at The Rolling Stone. (laughs) Here we are. Roger Ebert at the Chicago Sun-Time. That old hack. Oh, what? Let's hear what he's got to say. Always going to be harsh. My rationale mind... Rationale. (laughs) My rationale, mind you. My rational mind informs me that this movie doesn't work, yet I hear a subversive whisper. Since it does so many other things, does it have to work too? Can't it just exist? I've been arguing the same thing about myself for years. It's the damnedest film. I can't recommend it, but I would not for one second discourage you from seeing it. Fucking take that, Wes Anderson! God! Doesn't know what to do! That's a kill. (laughs) Vitality. Jack Matthews at New York Daily News. So you didn't get all of the New Yorks, did you? Ah, yeah. you dick. Daily News gonna fuck you up. New York Daily News gonna give it to you, as the song didn't go. Yeah, better get better get ready. <laughs> if there's anything more tiresome in film today than hip irony, it is forced irony. And here comes a boatload. Oh, <laughs> fucking hell. Because the film involves wow. thematically and structurally um, a boatload. Yeah. That's boat. quite clever, actually. Boatload of boat. It's two, exactly. two, two levels I of guess working. any there. amount of boat would be a boatload of boat. Depending on what boat you're talking about, though, because there are many boats that would fit comfortably within other boats. That's true. You could say, single man looking for women interested in boatload of boat, and she <laughs> turns up, and she's like the Queen Elizabeth II. She's like, I've got my own boat, and it's way bigger than this. Look, if I put a dinghy inside of a freighter, or like an oil tanker, technically that is now carrying a boatload. That's true. It's true. It'll never not be true. (laughs) Spread the word, people. Don't let Big Oil get away with this. The public liked it a little better, giving it a 7.3 on IMDb and 87% on Google reviews. Ouch. Uh, Michelle Alexander Ramirez Seek on Google says, Great movie. If you like nonsensical movies. Oh. Oh. You you got me there. (sighs) With your one-two. I put me sword down. With your duck and dive. I lowered me shield. Uh, What was this? Shit in my face. Threw that shit right in there. Could have chopped it up with me sword or blocked it with me shield. 
can do either of those things because of my lowered guard. <laughs> Meanwhile, Juan Soto at Amazon said, lack of plot, just nice picture, far too long. Just nice picture. <laughs> just nice picture. Just nice picture. Well, just you nice. know, just nice is nice. Uh, but the film did bomb at the box office and is generally recognised as Anderson's weakest of a filmography mm. of hugely beloved classics. So, Paul, you rich bitch. Uh, yes. What would be the scientific purpose of killing this? Just to properly analyse it and suck all the fun and magic and the, the unknown je ne sais quoi, the ich weiß das nicht about the weakest, supposedly weakest entry in the Anderson oeuvre. But I guess it also may seem like a bit of a cop-out from me because at least among Wes Anderson fans, this film is a winner and I don't know anyone who isn't also a Wes Anderson fan who dislikes this. So the thought that this might be a bad film or in need of defending is an odd one. Perhaps then we might defend Wes Anderson films in general to those who dislike it using this as a very typical example and one that is well is not necessarily benefited by a huge critical consensus yes well exactly because the reviews are there hard to get into so sprawling and unfocused lazy pacing that distracts style over substance weird for the sake of weird hipsterish vapid samey smug slow stop reading your cv mate oh sorry control alt tab (laughs) i just got a new computer and it's It's bringing up all this extra stuff um but you know a lot of these are criticisms of my work ethic but also wes anderson by non-wes anderson fans the life aquatic to the uninitiated is like lists francis of assisi to someone who claims not to get classical music it's the the fact that every psytrance track sounds the same to someone who wouldn't choose to listen to it or the person you know that says Stuart lee only has the one joke where he says something sarcastically then repeats it sarcastically and then repeats it again yeah. and again until everyone stops laughing and then starts laughing again. The main person who accuses him of that is Stuart Lee. But, uh, yeah. He's not well, he's the trusted. worst of the lot. <laughs> he's scum. Yeah. And he I imagine he would work. say the same about Wes Anderson. No, he doesn't. He hates it. He compares it to Wes Anderson and lists Francis of Assisi. You know, it may have all the markings of a Wes Anderson film, the childish, melancholic characters, 60s rock and the tracking shots and ensemble cast. But... Yeah. Look closer, and in many ways, it's the least Anderson movie there is, in my opinion. Yeah. So I think we can we can do some good micro and macro analysis here of Wes Anderson's oeuvre and also the oeuvre of Steve Zissou. Looking forward to that macro. In the form of this film. I'm going to put away mm. the microscope and get out the telescope. Where the fuck is it, Barry? Okay, let's go through the plot. So Steve Zissou is attending the premiere of the first part of his new film. The film introduces yeah. him as a marine biologist and oceanographer and documentarian, and his best yes. friend has recently been bitten in half by a mysterious fish. Yes, the boy was eaten. He was swallowed whole. No, dude, Jack is getting monitor. He's got hydrogen psychosis. Crazy eye. Steve, they think you got crazy eye. Get him out of the fucking water. Esteban! Esteban! He's called this the jaguar shark. Yes, the first two words that came to mind as the attack happened. During a Q&A, a man in a pilot's uniform with a tiny mustache and suspicious southern accent asks <laughs> Zizou what he plans to do next. Now I'm going to go hunt down that shark, or whatever it is, and hopefully kill it. I don't know how yet, maybe dynamite. That's an endangered species at most. What would be the scientific purpose of killing it? Revenge. And this cheeky chappy over here just goes, wow, that's <laughs> great. It's Owen Wilson, everyone. Here no, he no, is. No, it's a southern accent, Paul. It's a, wow, <laughs> that's great. That's my southern accent. I do declare. <laughs> I do declare, wow. Oh, that's getting close to Walken. It's Walken, <laughs> a sort of southern <laughs> Owen Wilson. <laughs> I think he is now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Can I call you daddy? No, Christopher Walken, get away from me. <laughs> Creepy Christopher Walken away from this ship. <laughs> Everyone get your glocks out. As a member of Zizou's crew, plays an acoustic guitar rendition of a David Bowie song in Portuguese. There's nothing wrong with this film. We are shown a boat-based soiree in which we learn that Zizou has no funding for the second part of his film mm-hmm. and that the man in the pilot uniform may be his son, Ned. Definitely Ned, only maybe son. 100% Ned, 20% son. <laughs> T-shirts printed immediately, please. 150% Christopher Walken. (laughs) No, get out of here with your prompts. That's more Christopher Walken than I am. You must take the Christopher Walken face now. (laughs) This is the worst. (laughs) So glad this is where our our plot summary of this is gone. (laughs) They're lured onto the beach by mistakenly identified electric jellyfish that are actually man of wars. Mm. I've googled it. There's very little consensus on what the plural to that is. Ned is recruited into the team, and we meet Jane, a pregnant journalist with a British accent who's come to do a piece on Zizou, uh, in spite of thinking, like most other people, that his glory years are behind him. Klaus, a German member of Zizou's crew, 
uh, doesn't like this. The Ned part. I don't really know how he feels about Jane. He likes Steve and everything, everything sort of pertaining to Steve, except for other yeah. people related to Steve in any way. <laughs> so so they're all on board now with their multiracial, culturally pluralistic crew and their sort of their bu- <laughs> their bunch of unpaid interns. They yep. go on a, an expedition to find the jaguar shark and, and begin their second film. They're also joined by Jane, the uh, reporter, and a stooge from the Bond company. Yes. Oh, and Angelica Houston, who is uh, Steve's wife, leaves him. He does agree to uh, not kill the fish, but still plans to fight it with dynamite. Yeah, he says he'll find him and then and then let him go. Yeah, and then immediately inquires that the dynamite has been loaded. Yeah, which is more than Christopher Walken could say for either of us. <laughs> Going on there, they first off stop at Hennessy's control center. Uh, Hennessy played by the raffish Jeff Goldblum. Yes. And steal a whole bunch of his equipment to help them locate the shark, uh, into which he shot a homing dart on the day that his good friend Esteban was killed. Yes. Steve tries unsuccessfully to hit on Jane in a hot air balloon, um, and then they track the shark through dangerous waters, through which Goldblum follows them in search of the gear that they stole from his facility, not mm-hmm. realising who he is chasing. Um, it leads them right into a pirate trap. Snatchathon. Ned was meant to be on guard, but was currently below deck sleeping with Jane, and uh, the only other person who was on guard was singing a Portuguese rendition of Life on Mars. I mean, you know, if you can, why, don't, why wouldn't you? They take the Bond Company stooge hostage, because it turns out he speaks... Yeah, it turns out he speaks Filipino. And and then Steve Zissou has bloody had it with that. He decides to break free, chooses ropes, and uh, starts a, a massive gunfight with the entirety of the pirate crew, killing one. Uh, intern number one gets a machete in the neck, and uh, they leave their adorable, stupid dog. And uh, their three-legged dog. Yeah. Who he I love it. Whom Steve Cizo improvises at the name Cody. Goldblum catches up with Cizo and rescues the crew. A bunch of interns and the frizzy-haired girl leave the crew. Uh, then tows them. I, I, I don't quite get what happens there. Does he tow them? They set off a distress signal with the pirates, I think. So he says to Steve Zissou that I can tow you into shore, but you do, you'll do you have to pay for the recovery. It's more than the budget of That's the film. Right. Um, yes. Zissou visits Houston, though, because he does need more money. He visits her, then he finds out about Jane and Ned and gets really angry about it because he had a thing for Jane and Ned, and now they're together which complicates his relationship with both of them. Houston changes yep. her mind, joins the crew, and figures out that the stooge from the Bond Company is probably being kept in an abandoned four-star hotel on an island called Little Bing. Uh, Houston reveals to Jane over cheese toasties that Steve is infertile, and so probably isn't Ned's uh, father. They go off on a search and rescue mission to Little Ping. They uh, storm the hotel and find, well, nothing. That yeah, is until... Tarkovsky-esque ruinous beauty is all they find. Yeah. Which is, you know, better than a lot of people. It's better than what Christopher Walken has reserved for us. Um, they're about to leave the island when they find Cody the dog barking at the coat check. They go in and they find the Bond Company stooge. He's there. He's alive and well. He's very pleased to see that uh, Steve Zissou has come to find him and not let him die as he probably feared. <laughs> That's um, very much something to be pleased about. It's a good It's a good turn yeah. up in anyone's day. They hear a noise and they, they find yeah. that Jeff Goldblum is held hostage also by the Filipino pirates. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum is playing poker with the pirates, having been captured by said pirates. Yeah. And then Steve engages in a gunfight against said said pirates. They all escape. Things start resolving at around this time. Uh, yeah. Steve is starting to come to terms with the fact that he's just an irredeemable asshole. People are starting to accept him for his flaws which is nice being an irredeemable asshole steve sort of but not really apologizes to ned in any way shape or form and he kind of accepts it so to celebrate (laughs) he redoes the flag to include uh he updates the flag to include some more crew details on including klaus which uh resolves their feud they insist that they put something for ned who's also at some point taken the name kingsley zisu maybe temporarily at least they decide to go go on a little flight steve zisu and well, wilson steve wants to give up the search he wants to return yeah. to shore and just let the jaguar fish go about his own jaguar business um ned convinces him to go up in the helicopter to have a look they have a helicopter and a hot air balloon um yeah. to go up there and have one last look uh the helicopter crashes and ned dies Jarringly. After a combined naval and pilot's funeral, the main characters reconcile and then find the jaguar fish in their little submersible. And then let it go forever, probably. Just get eaten by a bigger jaguar shark. <laughs> Liam Neeson really smugly fucking sails past in his submarine. I knew something like this would happen. Fuck you, Liam Neeson. <laughs> Trying to have an honest moment over here. What would you know about that? Fucking taken. I've got Christopher Walken's number. Oh, God. <laughs> Is that a threat He's or a the line. Look. Yeah, compliment I with him. How can I hear you through the ocean? <laughs> Anyone can hear me. Don't think about it. <laughs> Anyone and everyone at all times. Anyone so... with a pure heart can hear what I have to say. <laughs> I 
hate this. I hate the fact that Liam Neeson is quite obviously Jesus, in spite of the fact he's a bit of a prick. Well, a lot of people don't like that. So is Christopher Walken God or the devil in this? Or is he the Holy Ghost? <laughs> he's, uh, wow. He's I mean, spirit of, woo. <laughs> I'm the spirit that lives in all of us. <laughs> God. Both Liam Neeson and Christopher Walken inhabit us in one way or another, and that's a terrifying <laughs> thought and wasn't what I was expecting to get from this podcast. <laughs> it's the eternal jewel in the heart of all men. <laughs> Chaucer knew it. <laughs> Sisu finishes his film, tends the premiere. That song that I think of whenever I think of Wes Anderson starts playing and the film ends. <laughs> that song uh queen bitch by danny bowie all right all right paul did life aquatic hold water oh my god if it did it didn't smash into any critical icebergs that's for sure (laughs) i've got a long way to go peter travers uh disclaimer the life aquatic was not the name of the boat in the film the life aquatic so did Life Aquatic Hold Water for you, sir. Every Wes Anderson film for me just has complete repeat watch value. Oh, yeah. Every time you watch it, you notice new things. It just adds to the tableau that is every scene in every Wes, Ad- Wes Anderson movie. Getting me tableau. Yeah, right up me tableau. <laughs> and I had the added extra this week of uh, watching the movie with Nell, who mm. got bored quite quickly and started playing on her phone. And and, <laughs> and, went, oh, and then got interested every time a David Bowie track came up. And then... <laughs> That was it, really. That's the Wes Anderson trick. He anticipated phones, (laughs) and he put in the Portuguese Bowie in order to try and confuse and alarm people back into um, Bowie. I'll say it anyway. Bowie. Bowie. That's how the knife's pronounced, apparently, according to scary people you don't want to argue with. I adored it even more than I than i always have done i cried harder at the bits that i usually cry at and Nell was just the complete opposite to me just totally (laughs) nonplussed no totally (laughs) indifferent Right. It was despicable. Is Nell Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times? Yeah, she wouldn't go all out and condemn it, but right. she said it was really nice that I had interests. <laughs> you know, she said... Good for you. If it makes you happy. Aw. <laughs> you, you lad. But, yeah, so it was just I'm the sorry. two... Describing yourself as a lad there, just pictured it as you, you wearing like a football shirt and football shorts with your little flag. <laughs> just watching Steve Zizou. I don't know why. <laughs> him i've got my zc uniform yeah got my little red bobble hat i've got my klaus shorts oh (laughs) your klaus hot pat no what does he call them Uh, speedos but i mean it's it's interesting because this is the two you had me the the wes anderson fanatic and you had nell who is just totally anderson ambivalent doesn't really give a shit and in sitting down and talking about it and you know staring at her for nine tenths of the film just to make sure that she was watching and really enjoying it and that it really spoke to her and changed her life and perceptions on things <laughs> realistic expectations i think it's almost for the same the same reasons that i love it i love the instantly recognizable directing style of wes anderson yeah i love the the world of wes anderson like he he creates something like a company or an institution or a mythos in all of his films that isn't that doesn't yeah. exist in our world, which gives his films a slightly unreal quality and sets them apart. In the Royal Tenenbaums, it's the Gypsy Cabs. In Rushmore, it's the plays that Jason Schwartzmore creates, and they're these tiny little worlds. In Grand Budapest, it's the hotel and the world, the whole you know what continent, in fact. And in well, in this, it's Steve Zissou. It's right. the aquatic world and his work, <laughs> the sea life. You know, none, none of which are actual yeah. creatures that inhabit the sea, like the rainbow seahorse and even the, lizards. Yeah. He's like multicolored lizards and the wild snow mongoose. It gives his film this otherworldly feel and the, the films of Steve Zissou are just this amazing biography, that small world that doesn't exist in our world. And that's what I love about it. And it does risk giving the films a sort of fairy tale feel sometimes. I think of mm. I think of Moonrise Kingdom with Edward Norton jumping over, like leaping in front of a fire from one board to another. And it's all very cutesy and twee. There's that. And then there's also the fact that Steve Zissou himself is a total prick, like good old fashioned mm. Wanker. Is that why people dislike this? Do you think it's got an unlikable lead character? And um, oh, well, what is it? What is it that's really got you feeling like you need to defend this? Again, is it a cop out to say defend because it's 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 middling reviews with a lot of positivity? Mm. But the the criticisms it, it, of this film are ones that are yeah. levied against a lot of Wes Anderson films. I think it's fair to say this one has been divisive, much more so than his, the rest of his career. I will say that for me, it's it's hard to see why this is the one that's divisive because. The complaints mm. that are levied against it feel like complaints that 
could be levied against most of his work, and it's strange then that the rest of his work is so universally adored. What's special here? What's different? Yeah, it has all the hallmarks of of a classic Wes Anderson, but Mm. it's also, as far as I'm concerned, it's the most focused character study Mm. of of one character of all of his films. I think the ensemble cast tends to be more, it tends to be more evenly spread across all characters. Even Grand Budapest Hotel has uh, Zero as well as the amazing Ray Fiennes. And Rushmore obviously comes close, but uh, there is a sort of I feel there's a more prominent ensemble cast where mm. their regrets and, and loss and their their lives are more important. Yeah. Whereas everyone is sort of a bit player to <clears throat> Murray Zisu in this. But I think for a character study, it's just such a compelling character. Why why are we spending so much time with this person who has very few positive yeah. character traits? You know, he's he's obviously a, a bit of a, a wonderkind. Mm. Well, even that is unusual because he acknowledges that he's not very good at remembering stuff about fish and that Angelica yeah. Houston is the one with the brains. He seems to just sort of has have yeah. the charisma, the sort of, hey, I hear a distress call. Let's go over that hill, you know, kind of survivalist nature to him like an old-fashioned adventurer i think that's what people responded to i guess it's hard to pin down it's almost like a he's got a a bunch of character traits that were very appealing two decades ago and times have changed and it's no longer like it's no you don't you no longer want to go and see jim davidson do jokes about black people's penises he is very much like um royal tenenbaum really he is, yeah, for sure. And now brought this up that he does seem to have an issue with with fathers and yeah. um, absent parents, and they they do spring up quite often in his in his movies. And I, and I can see why this film would be seen as a bit aimless and, and wandering from scene to scene. It's more about the daily goings on that, on this ship around Steve Zissou and him as the sort of nucleus of this operation. And the, the more I the more I see this film, the more I become aware of the f- the fact that this ship is like run with a weird macho homoeroticism mm. running through it that kind of goes well, under the, the nose of his wife and the speedos and the yeah chilling out in the hot tub together but there's also calling women as they come onto the you know when they board the ship it's like this one's mine yeah back off you know back off klaus it's like oh yeah she's great eh? yeah but S- steve called her yeah with that I, f- I felt like it was kind of like a big bang theory joke yeah. which is the idea that these guys you know they're really you know that was a really toxic masculinity thing to do but these guys are all very sort of um bizarre it's the mm. last people on earth that you'd expect because they're sort of bizarre right. and vaguely effeminate and you know it's that kind uh, of gag okay. which doesn't necessarily uh defend it but it's um no i think that's the intention behind it uh, okay i always I, I got it more as just a sort of mm, just masculinity without the caveat of them being nerds because i know Kla- klaus is kind of nerdy but steve's isu even though you know he's yeah. a bit of a fatty he, he he walks around with his top off and he's all sort of yeah he's macking onto every girl that he can get to and he is a proper womanizer it's established early on that he just cheated on his wife and he's, he's having this nice moment with jane kate blanchett in the hot air balloon and mm. she's sad about her child yeah. not having a dad and then there's a pause and he just goes in to kiss her yeah and it's like what the fuck are you doing you're <laughs> you're an absolute lunatic yeah. you have no idea of what like uh, like boundaries or, <laughs> or what's what's um mm. what's proper and it's just that's just him and you're there with him for two hours and he's he's redeemed at the end but he's not even he hasn't really done anything Mm. even his his supposed apology scene to owen wilson isn't really an apology Mm. it's just that he says that you can call me papa steve if uh, if you want to call me something Mm. approaching dad and owen wilson is just so uh fed up at at that point that he's like well all right whatever we'll just (laughs) get on with get on with life then yeah it strikes me that it succeeds in what it's very at its very basic level it's meant to be which is a comedy film mm. it's um it is quite funny it maybe isn't distinct enough from royal tenenbaums only in its aesthetic and setting and that's maybe why people started to become disappointed i guess that um anderson was settling into a style which is right. something only later became i'm not sure maybe they just accepted okay this is him and we'll just sort of take it on its own terms because mm. it is surprising how many of the reviews if you look at Anthony Anthony Lane at the New Yorker, um, he sort of says that the underreaction of Anderson's character used to be hip. Characters used to be hip, but has now become frozen into a mannerism. So he's acknowledging that you mm. know, had the films been reversed, Life Aquatic came out before the Royal Tenenbaums, maybe this would have mm. been more positively reviewed. It's just unfortunate due to its placing within the filmography as being the sort of second big feature. Mm. Because I think it's fair to say that Rushmore and Bottle Rocket were sort of indie sort of uh what do you call it early attempts bottle rocket was genuine indie rushmore had a bit more going for it i think but right. it was a director still sort of finding his style and yeah so this was his manner. second big outing and it's the biggest budget 
at the time he had ever commanded. I don't know if that's mm. still correct because Grand yeah. Budapest seemed like it had quite a bit yeah. of production behind it. As did Isle of, Do- Isle of Dogs. So, um, yeah. but yeah, maybe it just, um, this was the point where people were like, I don't know, just got sick of the tricks, you know, of um, the things that he was going to keep using and weren't willing to accept the idea that he was going to explore different themes. And that's the other thing mm. is that the theme is broadly similar. There's a Moby Dick thing going on and an idea of obsession, but yeah, I don't know, he doesn't spend too much of his time obsessed it's more about the family dynamic it seems and maybe it is a little unclear how that dynamic pertains to his decision to eventually let the tiger the jaguar shark go i guess i always saw that as that happening quite organically once he Mm. once he becomes more aware of himself his own problems Mm. and you know what really what really matters to him Mm. that all came together quite nicely it may not be one one event or one in- big instigator it really feels like a painting that's being filled in right so i guess seemingly at random if you if you had to summarize like the theme of the film or the sort of lesson learned it's that um steve zizu learns to get over himself which includes if, if, both his issues about fatherhood and his obsession with revenge yeah i i would say so i mean the fact that the focus is mostly on him we do get yeah. the occasional scene between um jane and Ned, Eleanor, and yeah. uh, Ned and Jane as well. Yeah. But it all sort of plays into him and his understanding of himself. And it only really feels like he comes to these, despite the protestations of others. It feels like he has to fuck up hard before he can come to his own realizations. Right. So yeah, just a very personal journey for this one guy. Mm. Um, which is why I would say it's. I, I can see why comparisons would be drawn to the Royal Tenenbaums, mm. but at, at its heart, it's a. It's a different look at it. Royal Tenenbaum is obviously a kind of similar character. A lot mm. scarier in real life as well. <laughs> um, the that. cause of way more distress on set. But it's his relationship with other people in the Royal Tenenbaums, I think. Whereas yeah. the life aquatic is, may seem like he's connected to all these different people and interacting with them. But mm. he's very much trapped in himself. Yeah. I have more of an emotional reaction to the Royal Tenenbaums because the characters are so well done. And it's just yeah. fucking tragic. Just mm. head to toe. And it means resolution at the end feel more it's more of a crescendo whereas this is a, a solo this is a lone yeah. instrument it's less an impassioned defense as with freddie got fingered and, and more just wanting to discuss anderson in, in you know in terms of criticisms and yeah where this film stands i think yeah just wanted to get some stuff off my chest yeah i think that's fair enough and i think it's it's interesting at this stage to just talk generally about wes anderson because the things that characterize his work tend to be somewhat divisive those things being characters who are very understated have a very dry way of talking Mm. to each other. Very sort of, I don't know, the artifice of the medium of film is present in his work in terms of the way he stages his shots, the way he has his production design work. It's not naturalism. Mm. It's um, a kind of formalism, I guess you might call it, in his work, which people Mm. can object to, saying that, you know, wheeling out the word pretentious, meaning that I feel I'm being excluded from this. This is like a secret language that is being spoken between intellectuals and that there's no room for me, Joe Average, member of the Mm. public, to come in and actually enjoy myself. I think generally that's Mm. the accusations that are leveled against Wes Anderson. And I I mean, why is it that you're able to enjoy those things? How come none of the characters taught right? Well, I think that by seeing Wes Anderson films as the sum of these parts that you've just mentioned, it really does obscure... It obscures the emotional punches mm. by reducing it to this. Yes, obviously there's a for- there's a formalism there, and there's a very solid style, and it's um you know especially with the panning shots, the tracking shots in a lot of Wes Anderson movies, yeah. especially this where you know you have a gunfight or you have mm. this amazing lavish party taking place place on the deep search on um, yeah. not on the deep search just on the Bellafonte. Yeah, but you're you're clearly an observer. Mm. You're not part of this scene. Like the the directing style is almost made to sort of put distance between the film and, and, and the audience and it feels for me like something that's supposed to be observed like I said with the, the extra details mm. that just pop up every time I re-watch a, a Wes Anderson movie I don't want to say that it's not being willing to engage with the film mm. but I, th- I think that to say that those criticisms are all that Wes Anderson mo- movies are really it just it's being very reductive. Yeah, it is being reductive. It's it, it it might be subjective as to whether or not someone is gets into those elements. They are they are all elements mm. that I quite enjoy because it, it adds to yeah. the humor. It's humorous to have these characters behave in this way, but doesn't for me detract from the humanity of them because they are all quite yeah. Ch- I think we've said it before. They are quite childishly open yeah. about themselves, and I think yeah. the childishness of it and of the characters does um. I don't know, it makes them all very 
relate uh, readable that is to say mm. if we are meant to be observers then everything that anderson does is intended to make it easier for us to observe them the way in which everyone is laid yeah. out in a scene you know very mm. straightforwardly taking up sort of sections of the screen your attention being guided around by this panning camera yeah. cross sections of various environments that allow you to see where things are placed and the personalities of these people works in much the same way as like a cross-sectional diagram of a person that you're able to sort of mm. move your attention around yeah there's just something to be said for it it's um it's unique but it has value beyond that of just being quite a interesting way of observing people and their emotions yeah i think it's so easy to connect with the emotions of these characters for that reason they're just open they're there for you to get it makes the impact even stronger for me i do understand why that might not work for people mm. i do get why that style really doesn't resonate with you mm. Well, if you know if it feels if it feels like watching a, a battle done in shaky cam for you if it's a similar effect then mm. it's just not going to work it's very vis a lot of it's visceral a lot of it is intuitive you're not going to be able to get past that maybe well some but, people do insist on naturalism in all film and they accuse anything that goes you know for any sort of mm. style as being cowardice mm. you know as yeah. being trying to obfuscate the truth film can't change things <laughs> not allowed i don't you know I, I wouldn't accuse anyone who um who loves that kind of thing and insists that that's what all film should be is, you know, not believing in film and the power of film. But I would say that it's it's a varied approach that film can take in order to portray these things. Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, when you've seen dozens and dozens of Mike Lee films and they're all very, you know, like slice of life dramas, you know, it, it can mm. reinvigorate these emotions in you to see them presented in an unusually artful or... um overly designed style yeah changes as good as the rest yeah it's a very common thing for artists to explore the same theme over and over again and mm. i feel like in in keeping to a, a very recognizable style that wes anderson is doing that to some extent it or it allows for a very particular kind of exploration mm. of these themes i don't think that that just demonstrates a lack of imagination or or, or says anything about him being a one-trick pony. I don't think that it's it should be a criticism that these are easily recognisable characteristics of Wes, of Wes Anderson movies. Yeah. It's just a very, very effective and incredibly beautiful way of uh, presenting something and exploring something. It was just another another window, window into Wanderson. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's go up to our Wanderson window and have a good old look for it and see all the things that we want for Christmas because it's time to quick fire. <laughs> Quick fire. Uh, boom, boom, on the window. <laughs> Look at that bit. I want that one. Hey, Wes. Hey, kids, get the fuck out of here. Oh, it's old man Anderson. <laughs> Damn kids. <laughs> Come in here. Trying to film this pie. Pokemon window. <laughs> enough of this shit. I thought you said Pokemon window. That's a very old person thing to say. <laughs> you damn kids with your Pokemon windows. <laughs> Come in here. Trying to take my Charizard. <laughs> I'm buying a gun, you little fucks. I am the president clothed in immense power. Um, I really like the guy who comes and takes the mic away at the film premiere mm. and later on brings water. Yes. He is lovely. There are so many great disheveled old man. Minor, minor characters like that. The production logo for Osiri Draculius Pictures was great. Mm. Um, it's a sort of good old yes. fashioned educational 70s production logo, which I enjoyed. And oh, cool. Speaks further to the idea that this is a film that's somewhat, somewhat untethered by time, taking place in that Wes Anderson time that's somewhere in the 60s. So Georgie renditions of David Bowie tracks in Portuguese are amazing. They're really gorgeous. I love the uh, description of Klaus as being calm, collected, German. And another tiny moment just to go along with that, because it's all this is all the opening film that he's showing, part one of his film. Yeah. I really like when he kisses um, Esteban. On we, the head. Yeah, we didn't talk about... Um, <laughs> I guess if you want to hear us talk more about um, Bill Murray, then go yeah. ahead and watch our, um, our episode about Bill Murray and the Life Aquatic at um, Let's Get Stuck Into Let's slash stuck the into. Film Collection. Uh, connection, yeah. Which is uh, connection. Yeah, available online. But yes, um, Bill Murray was great in this and he had some really good instincts, one of which was to just give yeah. Esteban a little kiss on the head. Yeah. And then just to get me out of the opening film, because fuck me, I've got a few here. The last thing I've got <laughs> is um, I shot it dorsally, which is a fantastic mm. thing to say. I shot it dorsally. Dorsally being an adverb. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, similarly when So Georgie is introduced as the uh, the safety expert, it's that line is said just as he throws a stick of dynamite into the ocean. Mm. Very good, very good timing. <laughs> um, I love Bill Murray looking expectantly for questions at the Q and A. There's something about his little face looking around like any questions. It was, really, it was a really sweet moment that I liked. Mm. His little face in this film was superb. <laughs> yeah. So many very small reactions, all like tiny little explosions going off, but. <laughs> Very, barely moving his face at all. Yeah, something about framing his face with salt and pepper hair and a little red hat yeah. and, and a ridiculous speedo just makes him somewhat sweet in spite of all the horrible things he's doing. There's a cuteness <laughs> there, a quaintness, a slight crapness that I like. That's it, I think, is the slight crapness. It's very British. Okay. <laughs> I loved his line, his first line to Jane, Kate Blanchett, when she shows up on the beach. Mm. Where did you come from? You look pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line. So? Goldblum, uh, in his first few lines, oh, says something, God, yeah. just says something like, um, I love it. And it's very Goldblum. <laughs> Jaguar shark. Exactly. I love it. I just became a knight in Portugal. <laughs> Zissi's portrait in the Explorers Club is fucking fantastic. Where he's got this, he's this sort of foppish pose. Somebody yeah. who doesn't quite know how to draw humans. <laughs> A familiar face comes up to uh, Zizu when he's at his premiere. No, congratulations, seriously. Thanks. I wish it didn't require the seriously, but thank you. And I think, who's that? I know her. But it's this woman. She comes up and she's only in it for that minute. Then mm. she leaves and it's like, who was that? I know her. The reason I knew her is because I recently watched the documentary McQueen, um, which uh-huh. is all about the uh, fashion designer Alexander McQueen, a very tragic kind of figure who made this extraordinary art. And one of the key characters in that is this character of Isabella Blow, Izzy, um, who mm. is was his kind of mentor, discovered him, and um, was a dear friend of his until he sort of got jealous of the attention she was receiving, um, and all, him always being framed as d- the discovery of Isabella Blow, and there was a massive... Uh, schism between them she ended up committing suicide as a result of ovarian cancer um, which is a horrible tragedy but that's her that's Isabella Blow in a little cameo in um, The Life Aquatic with Steve Cizau and it was really weird to sort of Zizou and it was really just weird to have her appear in this and it was nice oh wow yeah it's nice it's a little connection where she's forever yeah Izzy I love the the tracking shot of the gunfight on Ping Island there's just loads of things going off gunfights and guns and explosions and yeah it's just just cram full of discrete events that you could watch again and again and find something new yeah it's just brilliant there were there were some great things being articulated in that opening party and one of them is that he sees a screen playing an earlier interview with himself esteban and um well it's himself and esteban and he says well if angelica houston is the brains of the operation then what are you indicating yeah. Bill Murray yeah. and Esteban just leans forward and says he's the Zizou which is yeah. really lovely and yeah. you suddenly get this Such idea good... of what it is that Esteban meant to him the fact that Zizou has all these people around him because they complete these missing parts of him I think yeah. and he, he sort of relies on these people that he's not necessarily good to but yeah. they make him into a, a complete human Yeah. when when he says to, to Ned after Ned says that his mum took her own life after a cancer diagnosis yeah uh, coincidentally oh jesus yeah he goes you know my best friend just got killed esteban and uh, ned goes i know he, d- he does that in a few films he did it with ben stiller in the royal tenenbaums mm. when he's saying to danny glover you know my i'm a widower as well he's like, i know you are it's something so sad about them saying things that people already know yeah like the attention that they need for that yeah it's just oh it just cuts right through me yeah <laughs> oh mark mother's bow soundtrack as well is just fantastic the underwater um, exploration stuff the sort of orchestrated version of it later for battle on gunfight in ping island or yeah. whatever it's called so good it's just what an amazing piece of music the things that made me cry when uh, jane kate blanchett puts the stack of letters in ned's coffin the idea being that she's written all these letters to him that oh, yeah. um she was she was going to because he bought her all these um stamped addressed envelopes yeah envelopes and uh now they're just gonna go in with his with his body down to the bottom of this the ocean is fucking tra- tragedy and you know the denouement at the end when they're in deep search and the jaguar search mm. jaguar shark goes by and he says the sort of the line at the end of the Wes Anderson film that sums yeah. up everything that that has been driving him until then. He says, mm. "I wonder if he remembers me." Yeah. 
and he cries and everyone puts their hands on him it's just so simple so simply touching yeah it's simple touching and it's simply touching <laughs> i love the way they all lean forward to touch him in that yeah. moment it's very so sweet. fucking sweet a couple of quick uh bill murray lines um sorry kid you caught me with one foot off the merry-go-round there was a kind of um a yeah. nice little euphemism for he needed to get high there and then he introduces him as probably my son ned which is quite fun. And then another one, slightly later, when he talks about changing his name, and he says... You think you'll want to change your name? Ned? No, not the Ned part, unless you want to. And then later he gets his correspondence materials, and uh, his his name on it is Kingsley, parenthesis, <laughs> Ned, ZC. Yeah. <laughs> I love the Bond Company stooge. Oh, and he's great. Particularly the teamsmanship scene, when they're in the yeah. elevator, and he's like, you're yeah. not going to fucking rat us out, are you? And he's like, well, I'm, I'm also a human, human being. being. Yeah. <laughs> And he's like, come on, teamsmanship. And they do the little all for yeah. one, one for all thing. And his smile Aww. as he looks between the two the two men <laughs> is adorable. It's the he's greatest the thing I've ever seen. I've never seen a bond company stooge stick their neck out like that. I love uh, Bill Murray just feeding a whale and looking thoroughly yeah. unimpressed doing it. Like, this is just something he fucking does every day. Yeah. Oh, gotta feed the whale. <laughs> Wish he was a sea world. <laughs> Where he belongs. Piece of shit. I love the transition of intern number one to become a bona fide member of Team Zisu. He gets a machete in the neck and yeah. he decides to s- stick with the team. And then eventually at the end of the film, when they're all running down the, the promenade, he's got his Zisu uniform on and he puts his hat on and he gets clapped on the back by, it mm. might have been Klaus. What a story intern number one had. <laughs> Played by Wes Anderson's actual real life intern, which I don't, I don't know what that means. Oh, like, was well, he he's... learning to be Wes Anderson? Was he interning to become that? He's close, because he was Paul in 500 Days of Summer. Oh, well. Yeah, and he was also in Criminal Minds, uh, I've been told. Closest thing to Wes Anderson you can get. Um, (laughs) I really love the line, Klaus was a bus driver, as they're going around explaining that they're all misfits. You can see his shoulders sag when uh, when Zizi's saying that as well. (sighs) (laughs) Stevesy. Yeah, there's a couple of jokes here that were lampshaded, weirdly. One of them is the fact oh. that um, the submarine has deep sh- deep search crossed. No, sorry, it has yeah. Jacqueline crossed out and deep search yeah. underneath. Mm. Um, and then later on, Stussy's out reveals that he has a tattoo of Jacqueline crossed out and deep search written underneath. Yeah. Which would be such a fucking <laughs> yeah. great sight gag alone of just he did it for both, yeah. even though he didn't have a good idea for the tattoo. So he just did what he did with the submarine. But then um, yeah. I, can't, who, I can't remember who he's showing it to. It might have been Jane. She just says, um, yeah, what's deep search? And he's like, oh, it's the submarine. And it's like, I remember. But it's rare. It's rare for him to lampshade. The only other one was, um, oh, the brilliant letter sequence when he's reading the letter later on. And we find at the beginning of the film, we hear the response that Steve um, Zizo wrote to um, Ned. Mm. And in it, it's sort of very general kind of respondy fan letter, sort of, um, yes, in answer to your question, always, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And then just halfway down the page, it just says, I remember your mother. And then carries on in the same sort of style. Mm. And that's brilliant. But then afterwards, Steve yeah. Cesar says, um, kind of boilerplate, I <laughs> guess. A- again, it's just we had the joke. Yeah, true. But it's true. rare enough. I love the the back and forth between Klaus and Ned, um, the sort of pissing contest that they're doing for for Steve's attention, or rather Klaus's pissing contest that Ned doesn't know that he's a part of. Yeah, with the the, the slapping and and the uh, Klaus, if you ever touch me again, I'll kick your goddamn teeth in. <laughs> Not if I don't see you first, Sonny. <laughs> Their reconciliation at the end is it's again it feels well earned. <laughs> it does. Uh, Noah Taylor doesn't get much to do in the film, but his line um, mm. when they try to get the dolphins to go under the ship. And he says something like, mm. um, either they can't hear us or they can't understand us. Yeah. It's really funny. I hate these dolphins. <laughs> I'm sick of these dolphins, yeah. says Steve Zissi. <laughs> he hates the dolphins so much. <laughs> There's a great line that comes out of that that chase at the end where it's like, um, I can't remember who he tells to do it, but he's like, go over there, take the keys out of that boat and throw them over the side. Oh, wait, they might have a spare set. Just blow it up. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a very naked gun line, but um, I really love when he's like, Can you hear the jack whales singing? Beautiful. I wonder what they're saying. Well, that was the sludge tanker over there, but there you go. And again, it's kind of lampshaded because then Caesar then explains what actually happened. But I love that gag. The timing of it is really good. Yeah, me too. I wrote that down. So yeah, Ned. I love that he wore goggles in the hot tub like an alien idiot. But <laughs> his um, his death. There was something so sudden about it. Yeah. That even now, after the tenth, fifteenth viewing, it feels ripped away from me. Every time. Even the first time I saw it, when he's hanging onto the, the dinghy in, in the mm. ocean, and I didn't really understand that he was going to die until the mm. the sea, which keeps sloshing up against the camera, yeah. suddenly sloshes up against red up against the camera. Yeah. 
and you realize he's bleeding out yeah it's jarring with the tone that's come before it mm. but it, not in a bad way it's it's just another another part of zisu mm. yeah <laughs> um but it's 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 well done and he's such he's quite an innocent character so yeah. it sort of it hits hard and i really like the preceding crash because it, in a way the action scenes in this do feel a little incongruous so i'm not sure they feel congre- concessionatory as um some people have accused it of being because i don't think anderson would make that concession unless he felt like he no. should but um i this the crash that's how anderson does action and it's brilliant. There's um, yeah. something about the pacing of it. You know, the the way they look up and some sort of fluid covers the screen and they look down and yeah. there's this horrible sense, oh, we're going to crash. And it's one of them says something like, this is going to hurt, isn't it? And it's yeah. there's no panic in it, but it's, it's I don't know, really horrible. There's really something quite visceral yeah. about that crash sequence. He eventually did figure out how to do yeah. action the Anderson way. I think it really works. Yeah. It's, it's quite heavy handed and it works. Yeah. Oh, I've always loved Jeff Goldblum rolling up the newspaper and coming over to smack Cody, the dog, because it's whimpering throughout the scene, and just hits it and says, Be still, Cody. It's very strange. It's a very odd little moment that I liked quite a bit. Michael Gambon, when he's um, on the phone to Steve Sisu, mm-hmm. says, um, What am I supposed to do here? Well, I must say nothing's jumping to mind. Philip, any suggestions? No, he's shaking his head. Just no, no, he's shaking his head. It's a fantastic line. Uh, the safe gag is fantastic visual comedy where they spend all this time sort of unlocking the safe and then open it and there's a big hole in the back that they could have definitely oh, yeah. seen That's if good. they'd looked at it. Oh, yeah, just the line, that's Esteban, really moved me from the flag situation oh, yeah. where it turns out Ned put an Esteban on the flag. Mm. And also related to that flag, I didn't just like it. That's excellent. Doesn't need to finish that sentence. Yeah. And yeah, that'll just about do it for me. Cool. Excellent. So yeah. So it turns out it's a good film. It is a good film. It's a very enjoyable, entertaining film that will hopefully move you a bit if you're willing to invest in it, which yeah. you should know by now if you're willing to do that with a Wes Anderson film. But if you feel like you don't, give it a go anyway. Yeah. Because you might. And, and if not, enjoy working through the Dogma 95 manifesto again. <laughs> the Idiots is next. Brilliant. <laughs> that'll make you laugh, won't it? You absolute fucking waste of... Did we ask the OG team for any input? We did ask the OG team. Yay! We got a c- couple of responses, but as you might expect, most of it was just uh, confusion because we were defending a sensibly, demonstrably good film. <laughs> Full Starts podcast said uh, the movie is one good thing. Agreed. <laughs> it seems like you've been listening to our podcast. Uh, Sarah Keep, thanks for the artwork. Still said, I assume everyone's good thing will be Jeff Goldblum. Which yeah. Is- pretty right on fuck yeah so with that as a given i will say the use of cigarosis song sterile for during the submarine scene is a lovely moment yeah it really is it's beautiful steve yeah it's pretty good isn't it i wonder if it remembers me Bloody lovely moment. Very lovely. From a lovely film. Yeah. Thanks, OG team. Thanks, OG team. I guess we're not doing one better things because this is a defense yeah. of, but I will just mention the film The Bill Murray Stories, Life Lessons Learned from a Mythical Man, directed by Tommy Avalon. Um, I don't know. Nice film about Bill Murray's mm. stories. So you may have heard of Bill, Mur- Bill Murray's story at some point in your life. He has mm. a habit of just showing up in people's lives. Like... He once just randomly walked into a um, a house party in Glasgow and started doing the dishes, you know, and people yes. were at this house party and just became aware that Bill Murray was in their kitchen doing the dishes <laughs> and they'd never met him before. He didn't know anyone yeah. there. It was just something he did. And there were so many times when he does this, just randomly insinuates his way into a situation. <laughs> and Tommy Avalon, curious about these stories decided that he was going to investigate some of them, try and find out how true it is, if it's just an urban legend, like Bill Murray is a modern Sasquatch. And (laughs) then once having verified a few of them, just try and interrogate why he's doing it and what it means. And is this just another facet of celebrity culture that we're also obsessed with sort of encounters with famous people? Or is he doing something else? Is he using his fame to get past a social barrier? that exists between strangers and doing something quite special in doing it. And how does that pertain to Zen philosophy and various other things? So it's a very interesting film that I think is on Netflix now and it's only an hour and 10 minutes. So I highly recommend you check out, um, yeah, the Bill Murray stories. Great. Lovely. 
Okay. Cool. Paul, where can people find out about the one good thing? All the regular channels, one, two, three, and six. Twitter and Facebook, OGT Pod. You can send us an email at gmail, OGTPod at gmail.com. We have a bloody ripper decade awaiting us. So Fuck yeah. tune in for some corkers, everyone. It's going to be a rough ride over dangerous waters. Tune in. Tune in. Jack off. That's the Anna Nicole Smith way. And that's how we live our lives. Cradle to grave. Yeah. Try and stop us, <laughs> mum. Someone try, please. 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 <laughs> Help us. But until then, thanks for listening. See you all next time in film. In film. Brother in film. I'm Paul Salt. I'm Paul Goodman. And remember, the one good thing about the life aquatic with Steve Zizou. Zizou? Zizou. 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 Almost made it the whole episode. Is. Well. <laughs> <laughs> made it somewhat through. <laughs> The one good thing about the life aquatic with etc. is Kate Blanchett, who we didn't really talk about much. Wait, what? Oh, do you have another story? <laughs> story! Yay! Story! Bankrupt! I... Daddy! <laughs> <laughs> ladder! Um, <laughs> yes. This one's called Truth or Dare. Cockney rhyming slam. <laughs> I like me bread and butter. There's something to be said for a primal guttural scream and gyration down the middle Yes. Oh. <laughs> you can and will at some stage in your life eat dinner off of Bernie's mama's stomach. You want this a thing? She's doing the rounds. A pee? <laughs> Where's it gone? Oh, it's in the navel. She hid it under the gravy. <laughs> dinner to eat off of a, you hear about like eating dinners off of a person it's usually like sushi or something <laughs> not full sunday roast your keys and all yeah but if she just did sushi it wouldn't be a challenge would it she have to be something with risk of spilling but no the gravy pools in the concentric lines that make out wraps and uh <laughs> she keeps the yorkshire, yorkshire pudding warm what's cranberry sauce that's enough but anyway Loaders Italian, back to back to each other. Do you like Top Loaders Italian? Oh yeah, I get it almost now. <laughs> Name that UTI, it's Paul Gimmons new <laughs> podcast. But they Kieran McCulkin. Kieran McCulkin, yes. Kieran McCulkin. Kieran McCulkin, yes. Kieran McCulkin, yes. Kieran McCulkin. Kieran McCulkin. You don't do anal then transition back into Sure. You, that's surely the showstopper. Some some people do, Paul. Some people want their cake and eat it, eat it as well. <laughs> but some people want their cake and anal sex as well. And it's just, those are the worst <laughs> kinds of people. Never go anal to cake. <laughs> Says Katuk. Some ass to cake action. <laughs>